Well, uh, I missed being with you last week. I was representing you at the mayoral inauguration uh, in Medford. So was super honored to be asked by our new mayor, Brianna Longo Kern, uh, to give the closing prayer at her inauguration. So it was a great way to bless her and bless our city. But I missed being here with you. Uh, I did jump online and listen to John's excellent sermon. Pastor John uh, started our new series in First Peter, the book of First Peter, that we're titled Keep Moving. And the reason that we're titling this sermon series Keep Moving is because these people to whom Peter was writing, they were going through some difficulties. They were facing constant opposition, and they needed a word of encouragement. Peter writes this letter to them, and, and they spread it around uh, the different cities and villages um, where, where Christians have been scattered to uh, encourage them in their faith. You see, they were facing persecution in various forms. And while we may not face the same difficulties and challenges exactly as they did today, what we're going to see is that 1 Peter gives us a guide for how we can live as Christians in a culture that does not always hold to the same values and perspectives as Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you to, 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 to just not, not only receive these words in an intellectual way today, but let them hit your heart. Because what Peter is doing here is so brilliant, how he, he sets the tone with these introductory words. And what he's doing is this. He, he, he's trying to tear down what, what could have been a misconception in his day and is certainly, I believe, a misconception in our day about what it means to follow Jesus. You see, so many people believe that uh, following Jesus is a Sunday thing. Like, like it's kind of the spiritual com component or compartment of our lives, but it that holds riddle, little relevance for the other six days of the week. And we know from following Jesus and listening to his words that that could not be farther from the truth. As C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because by, by it I see, but because by it, I see everything else. Christianity, following Jesus, impacts the way I'm a husband and a father. It impacts the way I work day by day. It impacts the way that I treat people that I've never met. But not only that, not only do people sometimes think, hey, Christianity is just this compartmentalized part of life, but a lot of times people believe that uh, following Jesus is about booking your eternal destination only. And while it certainly has to do with our eternal destination, what Peter is going to show us today is that we have a today and a tomorrow kind of faith. That yes, there is more than we can imagine on the horizon as we look to the eternal life that God has prepared for us, but his power and his love and his grace are readily available to us to live in today. And so what the words of this text are going to, to call us to are to praise God for changing our today and our tomorrow. You're going to see this as we read these verses. We, we're called to praise God for changing our today and our tomorrow. Follow along with me on the screen or in your Bible as I read these words for us. 
Peter begins his introduction, which in the Greek text, by the way, goes all the way through verse 12. We're only going to cover the first three verses today by saying this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter begins this letter by by helping us see that Jesus gives us life for today and hope for tomorrow. And so I want to think, help us to think about what does it mean that Jesus gives us life today, that he changes our today. We see this in verse 3. He begins by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This word blessed is the Greek word eulegatos, which is how, where we get our word eulogy from. If you've ever been maybe to a funeral where people are eulogized, they're, they're, they're praised for the way that they live their life. And so this word blessed can be translated praise. Peter begins his letter by launching into a celebration of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. And we learn two very valuable lessons from Peter moving into this moment of praise. Because remember, these people were going through difficult times. They lived in a culture that didn't value what they valued. And so we learned that, number one, we can praise God in our pain. I don't know what you came in with today, but I'm smart enough to know that not everyone's life is perfect in the room. That we all go through difficulty. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. And so no matter what trouble you're facing today, Jesus says, look, you can look to me, you can praise me because I will carry you through your pain. Maybe you've never thought about it, but these words are as radical as what we find in the book of James. When James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, starts his letter, he gives these radical statements that says, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. He's saying that you can rejoice when you face difficulty because God is doing something that you can't see in those moments. And so we learn that we can praise God in our pain. But number two, we learn the value of stopping to praise God no matter what is going on around us. Some people call it a praise break. Anybody ever taken a praise break before? Come on. Call it a praise break. Call it pushing play. Here's what happens. When we stop to praise God, when we align our hearts and refocus our mind, there is a shift that happens within our souls that helps us take the next step that God has called us to take. You can say amen in our church. Amen? Stopping to praise God. Just a year and a half ago, I was uh, in, a, in a worship uh, you know, setting with a number of leaders from across the Northeast. Uh, and uh, God, in, in a moment of song, who knows that God speaks when we sing? In, a, in, a, in, a, in, in just a, a whisper of the voice of God, he spoke to my heart and said, Tanner, worship your way to revival. Yeah. 
That's our prayer for this church and for all the churches across Boston. We want to see revival is a widespread, widespread move of God that begins with him transforming our hearts and then living such committed lives to Jesus that we are sharing that with other people so that other people can be awakened to the life of Christ that we know in him. And so what, what God was speaking to me in that moment was like, hey, your greatest desire, the greatest desire of your life, what you want to see before you're dead and gone is this city flipped upside down and chained with my glory, infusing it into every sphere of life. And yet God is saying, how you're going to get there is just to keep praising me day by day by day. Keep worshiping. Keep pressing play. Keep looking to me and singing my praise because praise takes us to places that we've never been. God is inviting us, no matter what the destination. Listen, you may say, like, Tanner, that's a great dream, and I want to get on board with that, but I'm just trying to make it through my day. Guess what? Take a praise break. You may be trying to get through your day. That's your destination. Maybe you're praying for a breakthrough in your family. Or maybe it's even that kind of prayer of God. Do such a work in our city that people want to write about it in the history books. Whatever it is, we can praise God because praise will, will get us there to keep our, our hearts and our minds focused on him, to keep taking the next step to his glory. But even as we seek to worship our way to where God wants us. We remember that worship is our response to the revelation of who he is. Notice that it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Historically, what we need to understand is that Peter is not mincing words when he talks about who God is and who Jesus is, but he says he calls Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, maybe that's the term that you've heard 1,000 times, and you're like, you know, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, speak to me in a powerful way. Well, well, listen, in Roman culture, the emperor demanded the worship of everyone. So to call Jesus Lord is to say Jesus is the true king, the true ruler, the true God who deserves our highest allegiance and affection. He is the one who deserves our worship, not Caesar. And I, I know we live in a day, in a culture where it's not popular to disagree with the statement like, hey, Jesus was a good option among many other options. But when we read his words and we look at his life and we see his miracles, and namely the greatest miracle of him, not just dying on the cross but for our sins, but rising from the dead, we see that Jesus does not leave us with the option that he's a good option. Jesus is either God or Jesus is a joke. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise this God. And why should we praise him? Because he has caused us to be born again. You know, it's the beginning of a new year, and 
I don't know about you, but I like the start of a new year. New year is a fresh start. And, you know, this time, I don't know how many times we've heard it. It's not only a new year, but a new decade, right? And so, you know, a fresh start is something that I think most of us don't turn down because we all appreciate an opportunity to kind of get a reset and to, to recalibrate for new opportunities that lie ahead. But what we see here is that God offers us so much more than a fresh start. No matter where you are today in your spiritual journey, no matter what kind of view you came in here with of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus, God extends the same invitation to every single person in the room that you can not only have a fresh start for a new year, but you can have a whole new life that God wants to give every single one of us. Maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe you understand that there's something missing in your life. It's like you're looking for, I was talking to someone even in the lobby, a friend who I know is taking this step, but they were talking about how, you know, just we've chased after so many different things, so many other forms of satisfaction or pleasure, but they don't ultimately bring us life. You see, for Peter to say God's cause us to be born again, what he's implying is that Inside spiritually, there was once a time when every single one of us did not have spiritual life, but in fact, we were spiritually dead on the inside. And that sounds extreme. That sounds radical. But what that means is that our hearts weren't beating for God. God wasn't first in our life. We didn't have eyes that saw how valuable God is. We didn't have ears to hear his voice. But God wants to change that. He wants to move people who are spiritually blind to having spiritual sight. He wants to move people who are spiritually dead to have spiritual life. He wants to move people, listen to this, who may be rejected by all of the people around them, and he wants them to be caused to be born again into a new family where they are, are you ready, totally accepted. Peter starts by saying He's caused you to be born again because Peter knows that this is the foundation for everything that they're going to face in their life. If, if our perspective is such that we see that we are into a totally new reality because of Jesus, that we now think the way he thinks and we want what he wants and we love what he loves and we seek to live how he lived, this reorients everything that we face in our lives, including our greatest difficulties. That's why Peter starts here. He's building a foundation on which now they can move forward to keep moving to the destination that God has for them. Let me be very clear about this reality of the new birth. Jesus says it himself that this is, listen, this is absolutely necessary for each and every one of us. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
We, we have to experience this new life, all right? This wasn't, this wasn't you know, sometimes, you, you know, you hear like, oh, born-again Christians and as if they were another kind of Christian. Listen, like this is Peter writing in AD 60 saying, hey, this is the reality for anyone who follows Jesus. We have to be made new on the inside. You say, well, Tanner, how does this happen? Well, if we rewind a couple of chapters, we would see in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, writing about Jesus, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God, God causes us to be born again because we look to Christ and what he's done we believe in him. That means we not just say like, oh yeah, Jesus existed. He was real. He really died on the cross. He even rose from the dead. It's not just signing off on facts and checking boxes intellectually. It's placing our entire trust in who he is and what he's done for us. It's saying my life is in his hands. My life belongs to him. I am completely surrendering my life over to Jesus Christ. You may say, well, Tanner, you know what? Uh, I don't feel like I can take that step. Because if you knew about me, like if we could just have a conversation, I could let you into my story and all of the junk and all of the baggage and all of the mess, you would know that I can never take that step. I'm not good enough. But the good news you need to hear this morning is that none of us are good enough and it's not dependent upon how good we are or can be. This is a result of us trusting in what Jesus did and him extending his great mercy toward us. Did you see how the sentence starts? It says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. God's mercy is his compassion to help those who are totally helpless to right their wrongs. So mercy is not something we earn. Mercy is something we receive. I want to ask you, have you received this new life that Jesus died and rose again to bring you? Do you know what it's like to be spiritually alive, to have life through Jesus Christ? If not, listen, you can open your hands today to receive it, to receive the life that Jesus came to bring you. And listen, this is possible. This is possible because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Look at this verse one more time. It says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. It's not overbold to say what you decide about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important decision you will ever make and it will determine your eternal destination and your quality of life today. 
Cornelius Plantinga helps us out when he talks about the resurrection. And he says this, in his resurrection, Jesus opened a door that had always been locked. And he has left it open. Do you hear that? In his resurrection, Jesus opens a door that had always been locked. And after he opened it, he left it open. He said, well, Tanner, like, well, what's that? What's the, what's that? How, why is that so great? What does that mean for me? Listen, he left it open so that you could walk through. He left it open so that now we can receive the life that Jesus died to bring us. You see, this is, this is the connection. Don't miss this. This is the connection. Let me get a little theolo theological with you for a moment. This is the connection between the resurrection of Jesus and our regeneration. To be regenerated means to be born again, to have life again. And so, so the connection is that Jesus died and rose from the dead so that now if we have life in him, we live to never die again, number one, but number two, not just tomorrow, but for life today. If you are in Christ, or if you decide today to say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of running from God, I'm tired of, you know, not being all in, but, but I'm going to take that step to follow Jesus. Listen, this is the amazing, mind-blowing reality for us. The very life of God flows through our veins. This is the door that he has left open for us. We have the life of God within us. God made us for life. He wants us to live lives that are fully alive. When we leave this place and we're in our families or hanging out with our friends or going to work or going about our business in this great city, listen, he wants us to live lives that are full of his love and power full of his compassion, full of his joy, full of a supernatural peace that pushes down all anxiety. This is what Jesus has done for us. He's caused us to be born again through his resurrection from the dead. And so Jesus changes our today. He brings us life for today but he also brings us hope for tomorrow. We see this in verses four and five. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Just to, to follow what Peter is saying here, okay? He, he, his focus is praising God for giving us life, right? Hopefully we've established that by now, all right? With a little bit of excitement on top. But what has this life done for us? And what Peter does in, in these three verses is he gives us three results of what happens when Jesus gives us this new life. He says, you now have a living hope, you have an inheritance, and you will receive 
final salvation. I want to take those one at a time. First, he says that you have a living hope. What are we talking about when we're talking about hope? Hope is the confident expectation that our deepest desires will be fulfilled. All right? Let me say that again. Hope is the confident expectation that our deepest desires will be fulfilled. Now, let me just just kind of contrast that with the way that we typically use the word hope in just our everyday lives. Oftentimes, we'll say, hey, I hope I pass that exam. Or we'll say, I hope that tomorrow is a better day than today. You know, when I was a kid, uh, growing up as, as the son of a basketball coach, uh, my dream was to play in the NBA, to become a professional basketball player. I hoped that I would make it to the NBA. You know, my wife, when she was a kid, she hoped that she would marry someone rich. <laughs> she got good looking, but she didn't get rich, all right? So... Um, We hope in all of these different things. But, but what we mean by that is hey, it may or may not happen. But biblical hope is an unshakable confidence that what we're hoping for will actually happen. It will be fulfilled. That's why Peter says that our hope is a living hope. Listen, think about that. Living describes hope. He's saying that this hope that we have is a hope that is alive. It is a hope that is full of life. You could contrast it with a dying hope. Think think about something that is dying. Maybe you've seen a plant or, 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 you know, you know, so something, or maybe even, you know, God forbid, someone who is, is passing from this life to the next. You know that when something is dying, it is growing weaker and weaker and weaker. But what Peter is describing here is a hope that is so full of life that it is growing stronger and stronger and stronger. It's a hope that has the power to push us forward. It's a hope that is fueling our resolve to live for God day by day. It's the kind of hope that can lift our eyes above the chaos that surrounds us and can help us keep taking the next step that God has called us to take. And listen, I know, I know so many of you, I know you personally, I know your journeys, I know that the challenges that you're up against in life, at work, with family, prayers that you're praying, listen, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. we, We live in a world that challenges our hope all the time, right? All the time. I mean, as we open our eyes and we look around and we turn on the news, we we see so many reasons to actually not be filled with hope, but to be hopeless. We see people struggling with addiction and depression. We see people fighting sickness and cancer. We may be experiencing ourselves the, the reality of broken relationships, not to mention all the political turmoil that's going on in our nation 
Sometimes it seems pretty hopeless. But what Peter is saying and what God is communicating to us is that now because of Jesus, now because we have this hope through his resurrection, that we can face any and every challenge that is before us. Knowing that that he is going to strengthen us and help push us forward. And, And don't miss this. Listen, don't miss this. This is because as Christians, we don't hope in this kind of abstract, generic idea of hope. And let me explain what I mean. You know, it's like some people are like, we're hoping for a better day, and we don't really know what that better day is, but we just know that that better day is better than what we're experiencing today. That's a generic hope. That's an abstract hope. That's a hope that's not concrete. That's a hope that's not firm. But when we say we have a sure and steady hope, that is because our hope is in a person. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. If he has been raised from the dead, if he reigns over all things right now, if he is returning for us, then our hope is locked in on him. And he is the one that is moving us on in our journey. We have a living hope. And this hope is characterized by an inheritance that is coming. You see that he says that we've been born again to a a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We think about an inheritance, we think about wealth being passed down or maybe a legacy from, from a family member from one to another. In the Old Testament, an inheritance was so often connected to the promise of land that, that they would receive a land to live in and to dwell in. But now, through Jesus, we, we not simply uh, hope for a new heavens and a new earth where we will inherit a, a brand new world and a brand new land, but we have every spiritual blessing right now that belongs to us through Jesus Christ. We have the hope of dwelling with God forever, living in perfect harmony with God again and with one another. This is the inheritance that awaits us. If you've been born into God's family, then you are God's kids. And what that means is that all of the riches that belong to him now belong to you. Infinite riches, like incalculable riches that you cannot begin to imagine everything that is now yours through Christ. And so think about it. Listen, I'm all about stewarding, you know, worldly possessions. I'm all about, you know, uh, honoring God with our finances in such a way that we can give and we can save and we can spend in a way that honors him. That's why we have FPU. That's why we have classes about how to handle our money. And yet what What God is inviting us to are not just earthly riches that can be accumulated through, you know, savings and and investments and houses and uh, mutual funds and acorn apps that takes your spare chains and puts them into the stock market. Okay, I'm like, hey, that's great. That's wonderful. But, But so often we as Americans who live in a very materialistic, individualistic culture, 
we can start hoping in these kind of riches in such a way that we forget how much we have awaiting us spiritual riches in Christ. There's so much more. There's so much more for you. Don't fix your eyes on that, which to contrast these terms that are going to perish, that are going to fade, they're not going to last. No matter how much money you can make in this world, you're not going to be able to take it with you to the next. But true riches are what God says here. They're imperishable. That means they never corrode or can be corrupted. They're undefiled. That means they won't spoil or lose their value. They're unfading. They they never lose their beauty uh, or their luster. And it also says they're kept in heaven for us. I want you to think about this in a personal way. Listen, the inheritance that God has for you, if you're in Christ, he has put your name on it. And no one or nothing can touch it. It's there. It's that secure. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ and been named in. We have a living hope. We've have an inheritance that awaits us, and we also are secure in our final salvation. Look at verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What Peter is talking about here is our ultimate and final salvation. When someone says yes to Jesus, maybe that's you today. You're saying, hey, I want to begin this journey. I want to be made new from the inside out. If that's you today, then the good news of the gospel is that Jesus saves us from the penalty of our sin. The penalty of our sin is death. It's it's, it's not just separation from God in this life, but it's separation from God in the next life. That's weighty news. That's weighty to hear. And, And yet, Jesus reverses that, right? He he saves us from the penalty of our sin. And now as we follow him, we are being saved from the power of sin over us in our lives. But ultimately and finally, listen to this, this is the best news. We will be saved out of the presence of sin. That's what Peter's talking about here. He's saying, look, you have a destination that is so secure because God is guarding it for you. It means he's shielding you like a fortified city. No one can break in and take your salvation from you. And yet, even though it's guarded by God's power, it's exercised as we continue to trust in Christ day by day through faith. Did you see that? He says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. So what this means is, is this, that, that, that this is the, the beautiful and intricate relationship between God's grace and our faith. We come to Christ, we believe in Christ because God has shown us who he is and given us life. That's his grace, but we exercise faith. We trust in what he has done for us. And guess what? After we do that the first day, of our new journey with Jesus, we do it the second day and the third day and the 3,000th day and the 30,000th day, even if people live that long. I don't know, I'm so, not so great at math. Do we make it that long? Maybe, depending on when you say yes to Jesus, right? Better start early for 30,000. So you see what I'm saying? 
we keep exercising faith. We keep looking to Christ. And God guards us and keeps us, and nothing can take our final salvation. It's that secure. What Peter is doing here in his introduction is he's trying to give them a vision. He's trying to help them see that what awaits them tomorrow should absolutely influence their today. And that's what I want to encourage you as we bring our time in God's word to a close. Let your tomorrow empower your today. As you lift your eyes to the horizon and you see all that God invites you to through Jesus Christ, it changes the way your feet hit the ground today. It builds such a confident strength that that no matter what we face, that God is with us, he is for us, he has given us life, so now we can live the lives that he has called us to live. And so what I want to do is this. I want to invite Pedro to come back out. And and as he uh, just begins to play, I want to ask you just a couple of simple questions. Are you experiencing the life that God wants for you today. This life that I've described, this this life that is actually full of life, that that, that is full of God's power, full of God's strength, full of God's confidence, full of uh, God's love, full of God's peace. Are you experiencing that kind of life? God wants it for you. Not tomorrow, he wants it for you so maybe for some of you that means you're saying like Tina you talked about a fresh start in the very uh, freshest of fresh starts the, like having a new life through Jesus listen if that's you today you may say I'm ready to begin I'm ready to start my journey it's as simple as opening your hands to God and receiving God's grace and his mercy his love for you that's beyond description just by admitting God I need you in my life I've blown it, I've messed up, I haven't lived for you, but today I'm starting again. Today I'm starting afresh. Today I want you to make me new from the inside out. If that's you, I want to, when we pray, I want you to call on God's name and just express that from the depths of who you are. Say, God, make me new, change my life. But for all of us, listen, for all of us, there's such a powerful vision that God invites us to
us to respond in the ways that you are leading us to. Whatever it is, maybe it's starting a new journey. Maybe it's continuing in a, in a fresh way to say, 2020 is a year that I am moving forward in my spiritual journey with Christ. God, whatever it is, lead us. Jesus.